Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's student ministry sermon. Hey, tonight we're going to continue our series called All In. And tonight we're going to talk about how Jesus is calling us out of pride and into humility. You know, we we read that verse, and uh, we've actually gone through that a couple weeks ago, uh, where we we had this image of Jesus being fully God and fully man, coming in the form of man, not considered equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself like us. And he died on a cross for us. And he showed us what ultimate humility is like. And that's the calling that's on not just some of us, but all of us that profess Jesus as Lord, uh, he's calling us to be humble. And that's, that's a hard thing. If you're like me, uh, man, it's a battle every single day. Um, it's, it looks different for all of us. And one of the ways it may look for you is just encouraging somebody that you may not like or coming alongside somebody um, that you may not know and just seriously bending a knee or literally bending a knee and helping someone. Uh, We're going to have a group of high school students come up. And these high school students, you guys can come on up. These high school students are going to uh, the Dominican Republic on Saturday. It's one of those things where, you know, I've I've been telling them, it's, it's easy, and you guys might be shocked at this, it's easy to go to a third world country to serve. That's easy. Um, what these guys are doing is not to be highlighted or to be uh, looked at as they're the cream of the crop or they're more righteous than you. Um, because what's hard is to serve the people that you go to school with, to serve your family and your friends. But what we want to do as a church, as a community here, is just to pray over uh, these students and these leaders There's 17 students and 12 leaders that are going to the Dominican Republic. So would you guys stand? And I'm going to have Matt come up. And we're just going to, if you guys could just stand and and just bow your heads. And we're just going to pray a prayer um, that's sending us, um, sending them to do God's work, um, to serve him in a way that gives him all the glory and all the honor uh, in the Dominican Republic. thank you uh, for this group of students and leaders. God, we thank you for their obedience to your call uh, to serve others. Father, we pray for this team as they prepare to leave on Saturday. Uh, God, that everything they do as they travel, uh, even their interactions with flight attendants and folks at the airport, uh, people that are observing them in the airports, once they arrive in the DR and the things they do, Lord, we ask that everything that they say and do would bring you glory and honor, that as they have this opportunity to be your hands and feet, to be your representatives to the folks of the Dominican Republic, Lord, we ask that your name would be declared clearly through their attitude, through their actions, through their service. Father, we ask that uh, they'd come back transformed folks because of this opportunity, that the things they see, the opportunities they have to serve the people in the DR, to learn from the folks in the DR, that it would change their understanding of your kingdom, of, of what it means for them to be kingdom workers in this place when they return back home. 
Lord, we ask that you watch over them as they travel. We, we pray for safety. We pray for incredible stories, not of what they did, but of what you did when they return. Father, thanks for their obedience. Uh, may it serve as an encouragement and an example to us of what it looks like to not just say that we love you, but to actually do something with our lives to demonstrate that. We thank you for your son, for his sacrifice that makes all this possible and gives us a message worth sharing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Adam already preached most of the sermon, so I'll just try to clean it up. I'm like the ninth inning relief pitcher that just comes in to not mess stuff up, all right? We're going to talk, as we continue to talk about all in, uh, as Adam said, we're going to talk about moving out of pride and into humility. And what we're going to do to talk about that is we're going to talk about this word service and what it means to serve other people, to be a servant. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing, and this is kind of a weird sometimes relationship between serving other people, is that it, when we take a posture of a servant, a lot of times what happens is we actually kind of wrestle with pride because of what we do. When we serve other people, it's really, really difficult to do that and not tell people about it. How many of you have to do uh, like things around, chores around the house, like mom and dad have some things for you to do, right? Okay. And uh, most of the time, you're somewhat willing to do that. How many of you sometimes just do nice things around the house just for the fun of it, right? Like a few of you, right? Is there, maybe you're way more holy than me, holier than I am, uh, but is there a little bit of a temptation to like tell people you did that, right? Yeah. So sometimes, every once in a while, like once every 50 years, my wife will be gone and I'll be at home and I'll do some things around our house. I'll do the dishes or I'll like start a load of laundry and forget to finish it, but like I'm trying to do something nice, or I'll vacuum a couple rooms, right? And I'll get done with that, and she'll come home, and I'll help her out, and every ounce of my body wants to tell her what I've done, right? Like I'm just hoping, I kind of follow her around, like hoping she'll notice that I did something, and if she doesn't right away, like it'll bug me, be like, hey, you want to put the the, the groceries on the counter that I cleaned because I did the dishes? <clears throat> like see, I'm empty, you know, like nice dishes, She's like oh, that's good, right? Be like, you want to go sit in the living room where like the vacuum, the the carpet's been vacuumed and it's super nice. She's like, yeah, I, I noticed you did that. Thank you. I was like, cool, boy, it sure is nice that the laundry room's like completely clean, right? Because I started all the laundry, and I, I'll do. And she's like, what what do you want from me, right? Like, do you want a hug? Do you want? You know, I was like, I just want you to recognize that I did something because my motivation at the end is is really still more about me than it is just serving other people, right? There's a couple of guys, we're going to read their story from Mark chapter 10, who wrestle through the same thing. A couple of the disciples, their names are James and John, they're traveling with Jesus. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. He knows that he's ultimately headed there because he's going to be crucified. In fact, when the part of the story that we're going to pick up, Mark chapter 10, it'll be on the screen or you can follow along. Beginning in verse 32, it says this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. Now listen to what he says. It's really pretty simple and clear, right? We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the son of man, which is him, will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Any questions about what he just explained there? What's about to happen to Jesus? 
He's about to die, right? And there's this pretty incredible, like, last sentence at the end, oh, but after three days, I'm going to rise, right? So it's really clear. I'm going to go get spit on, mocked, beaten, killed, buried, and then I'm going to raise again in three days, right? The very next verse, verse 35, says this. So he gets done clearly explaining all that. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him and they say, teacher, they ask, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Nice. Nice humble attitude, right? Jesus just explained, I'm about to go die. I'm going to be beaten, mocked, all of these things. And their statement is, hey, Jesus, we got something we need you to do for us. Jesus, being way more gracious than I am, says, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Like not the most brilliant, wise self-aware moment, right? He's just explained to him for the second time, I'm about to go die. And instead of saying, hey, are you scared about that? Or why is this going to happen? Or what happens after that? They're like, oh, so hey, we had this idea. But before you say anything, just promise me you'll say yes no matter what, right? You've had that conversation with a parent, right? Mom, dad, I have a question. The answer is going to be yes, but just hold on for a second, right? And so they ask this. Jesus says to them, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink to be, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answer. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. James and John have just had this explanation that Jesus is about to die. And they're really concerned about really essentially asking the same question that you and I often ask which is, how do I become great? Like Jesus is saying, this is what I'm about to do. And they're like, yeah, but what's in it for us? Like what's gonna happen for us? When this occurs, like where do we get to sit? Like, cause there's 12 of us disciples and when we get to heaven, like are we really close to you? Or are we at the end of the table, right? Is there like a kitty table in heaven? Or are we all gonna be like close? But I was just thinking, I mean, I know we're kind of tight and we're really good. And Peter always says really stupid things. So he surely can't be number one. So what about if like I'm on your right and he's on the left or I'll totally be humble and I'll sit on your left and he can be on the right, right? Like whatever's really best for you, we just want to be really close to you. But there's this challenge for us because the most natural thing for you and I is to be prideful. Adam referred to it. We all essentially wrestle with this. We want to be known. We want to be valued. We want to have this stuff said about us and so we rank ourselves. We realize we may never be the greatest, but the goal is never to be the worst, right? And so we constantly use whatever it is, whether it's grades or scores or stats or whatever it might be to judge ourselves and figure out who's the most important, which is completely backwards of what Jesus is trying to instill in his kingdom. So when we have this attitude of saying we're going to go all in with Jesus, it means we have to move from pride into humility. So to look at what humility means, I would like for us to jump over to Philippians chapter 2 want us to look at just a few verses there. So Philippians chapter 2, we just read it. I'm going to read just a couple of those verses again really quickly. I know we've covered them. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
I want to ask you to consider two words, not two of them together, just two separate words. I'm going to ask you, maybe you can talk about this when you get to your groups tonight, which of these two words you think you want to latch on to that I think help us make this transition or start to make this transition from pride into humility. The first one is the word be. It's a really simple word, but I want you to stay with that word because what it means is if you're going to be somewhere, it means you're really literally going to be what? be there, right? Usually we put be before the word we're really most passionate about, right? Like be funny or be creative or be smart or be loud or be quiet or be shy or be outgoing or whatever it is. And we want to be something. I want you to just simply slow down and be. If you're going to move from a position of pride into humility, it means you've got to slow down enough that things stop being about what you want them to be. You start to notice things around you. See, be is actually a really active word. It sounds pretty simple, like just blob, like plop down, right? Like be is just, there you are. But it's this opportunity for you to be in a setting, to be in a place, and to notice the things around you. It also means this for some of you that are not close to 40 years old in this room. It means that you're not anticipating the next thing so much that you can't enjoy the moment that you're in. I'm not saying it's bad to have dreams or hopes or desires for the future, but what I'm saying is God's put you where you are, in your home, in your D group, in your school, in your community, where you are right now for a reason, and there's opportunities for you to serve people in those places instead of wanting to be someplace else. It also means this. I think it's virtually impossible for you to really, truly be when you've got some sort of phone or something in your hand. For you, perhaps, to be present in some places means you've got to remove something that's some sort of a barrier or a distraction for you so that you can notice the people around you. If you're going to move from pride into humility, then it means you're going to care about other people, not just your own things. It means you're going to slow down enough that you're going to look around, you're going to notice the folks that God's put before you right now that are your opportunities to serve. I hope that for some of you, there's a hope that you see some folks stand up here that are headed to the DR and say, someday, I want to be where they are. I want to do what they're about to do. Reality is, that's a great thing, but right now, it means you've got to figure out, what is God calling me to be right now? If I'm going to be all in for Jesus, and I'm going to care about other people, and I'm going to serve, then what are the opportunities I have to do that right now? Number two is this, humble. We're dancing around this word a little bit, the word humility that keeps showing up in our text. It's this word humble that we aren't quite sure what it means, all right? Here's my favorite definition of humility. Not taking yourself too seriously, right? The opposite of humility is taking myself way too stinking seriously as if everything exists for my pleasure and for whatever I want out of it. Uh, I found a quote. Uh, I had a little research assistant that found this for me. And it is a quote from a not-so-wise theologian by the name of Lil Wayne, okay? If you know Lil Wayne, shame on you. You can repent of that later. If you don't, bless you. Go home and hug someone. There you go. That's a good one. Here's Lil Wayne's quote about humility, okay? I am very humble. I am very gracious and very grateful for everything that happens to me and about me and around me. Here's the first trick to being humble. Can't ever call yourself that, right? Humility isn't something I ever describe myself with. 
other people describe me with that if that is in fact something that I am. Humility is kind of like trying to nail jello on a wall or whatever it might be. You can't quite grasp it yourself. You pursue it, but it's not something you announce about yourself. I would never walk out here and say, hi, my name is Matt. Three things you need to know about me is I'm humble, I'm awesome, and I'm spectacular, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. You can't have pride and humility in the same situation. And so when we talk about being humble and taking the attitude of Jesus, if we look at this text and we pour over it, there's a few simple things that it says. It means that we probably need to lower ourselves. You notice a lot of times when we talk about serving people, it has something to do with like taking a knee or taking a posture that's lower than somebody else. It's the posture that Jesus takes when he's telling the disciples, I'm headed to Jerusalem to do something for you, not to be this huge, awesome warrior that's going to storm the gates of Jerusalem and kill all the Romans. I'm going to go and I'm going to serve. I'm going to be lowered below other people and humiliated. It means you're going to care for others and not expect anything back. And it means quite simply that you're going to serve even if nobody notices that you're going to do it. If your motivation for serving people is so that you get some attention and recognition, you're probably missing the point. Here's the thing about being a servant and about moving from pride into humility. This isn't an optional part of Christianity. It's not a part we get to choose whether or not we want to do it. If you want Jesus and you want all the good salvation and freedom and forgiveness pieces that come with it, he says, that's tremendous. I would love to give that to you. But it also means you're going to do something in return. It means you're going to serve other people. You're going to do things to tell them about me rather than about yourself. So. All of that leads us to a big fat so what. Let me say two things about what I think this means for us. Two things are this. Number one, realize the call to go all in with Jesus means that Jesus is number one. The call to go all in with Jesus means that he's number one, which means who's not number one? We aren't. Even in our most just honest moments when we wrestle with the fact that we feel like we're entitled or we're owed or we deserve this or we should get this or you have no idea how good I've been or whatever. When Jesus calls us to go, to go all in with him, it means that he's number one and we're not. And so what that means is that we serve so that Jesus is made known and famous, not us. I want to just very quickly remind you about 2 Corinthians 5, this passage that we've been reciting every single week. Uh, we're supposed to be memorizing it, right? And they're taking more and more words out. And so the first time it's real bold and then they start to pull words out and you're like, gets a little mushy at times because we're not quite sure, right? Second Corinthians chapter five says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, which is us, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Why do we keep saying that? Because in this series of being all in, it means that that call means that Jesus is number one and we're not. And the second thing it means is this, realize that this call to go all in and to serve is for everybody. Every single one of us is called to serve. It's not just for a few people who are gonna stand up on stage for a few moments. It's for every single one of us to have this opportunity to serve other people. How do we demonstrate that we're moving from pride into humility? It's to actually take a posture and to serve other people. Not so that we get credit, but so that Jesus is made more famous. I was uh, sitting at home 
two weeks ago, and my daughter is a second grader, and she has fluency reading. Did you have to do fluency reading? Yes, I know. She's not a huge fan of it either, right? So what it means, if you don't know or you didn't have to do it, and you're lucky because you didn't, is that they have to read this thing, and parents are supposed to listen to them reading, right? And sometimes I do, and if I'm really honest, sometimes I'm like, good, good, good. And then I realize, like, she's stuck on a word or something. But she was reading the story, and she got done, and I said, wait a minute, read that last line again. She read it to me. I said, read that whole story again. She's like, oh, Dad. I was like, no, just it's good for you. You need to be a better fluency reader. So I had to read it again, and I want to share this story with you because I think it captures at a second grade level, which you guys are way more mature than, right? Ish. Smarter than. Maybe not more mature than, but definitely smarter than, all right? It's a story called The General and the Corporal. We're so awesome, we're going to throw it up behind me, okay? Here it goes. You probably know about our first president, George Washington. Many people think of him as one of the greatest men in American history. One winter day, while his army was building fences and cabins to make a camp in the winter, General Washington walked around to see how things were going. He walked past a man giving orders to the other men, and the, men giving the, orders, the man giving the orders was a corporal, the lowest-ranking officer in the, in the army. Man, I should take fluency, shouldn't I? Terrible. <laughs> this is embarrassing. George Washington noticed that the men were struggling to lift a heavy log. The corporal shouted at the men to try harder to lift the log, but he never offered to help. Finally, General Washington, who was very tall and strong, stepped in to help the men. Soon they lifted the log in place, and he looked at the corporal and asked, Why aren't you helping your men with this heavy lifting? Why, said the man, because I am a corporal. I am an important man. Oh, indeed, said Washington. Well, I am the general, and the next time you have a log that is too heavy for your men to lift, send for me. Then he unbuttoned his coat and showed the uniform that he was wearing, which to me, if I, I kind of imagine like that Cam Newton, like rip the jersey kind of moment where he's like, I'm the jet. I don't know. Maybe that's not it. It's not the point of the story. Anyways, sorry. The little corporal felt terrible when he saw that it was the great General George Washington who had helped with his work. He realized something important then. Truly great men are never too great to help others. Truly great men are never too great to help others. If we come all the way full circle back to Mark chapter 10 to that story of James and John and them asking for some special privileges, Jesus takes this request from them, says, you don't know what you're asking for. They say, oh, we can totally handle it. And this is how that story ends. Verse 41, it says, when the other 10 disciples heard about this request, they were angry with James and John, but Jesus stopped them. You know that among the nations of the world, the great ones lord it over the little people and act like tyrants. But this is not the way it will be among you. Whoever would be great among you must serve and minister. Whoever wants to be great among you must be slave of all. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to be a servant, to offer his life as a ransom for others. The challenge for us tonight then is simply to be all in with Jesus means to take a life of service. It means to move from pride into humility, which means two things. Number one, that Jesus is number one and we aren't. And number two, that everybody has a responsibility to serve others, to demonstrate Jesus to the world because truly great people are not too great to serve. There's nobody in Jesus's kingdom that can't serve other people. So here's how I want to close tonight. In the same fashion that I just prayed for that team going to the DR, I want to pray for us right now. 
that we may not be jumping on a plane, we may not be going overseas or anything like that, but we have an opportunity starting immediately when we walk out of this room to serve other people and to take our own journey from pride into humility. So let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Jesus, I thank you that you love them, that you died for them, that you were faithful, that you were humbled and humiliated for them and on their behalf to take their sin and remove that. And that in return, you ask them to be your servants, to serve others, to not be people full of pride, but rather to be people full of humility, people who follow your example and serve as you served. So Father, I ask that even starting in just a few moments when they walk out of this room and into their groups, that you give them opportunities to be, to be aware of their settings, to be present where you've called them, and to look for opportunities to humble themselves not so that they'll be exalted, not so that people will think they are incredible, but ultimately so that it will point to your son and they'll understand how incredible he is. Father, thanks that you've asked us to do this and you give us this opportunity to serve in your kingdom this way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to a student ministry sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about the student ministry, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.